It is great to be with you. Um, I couldn't help but think, Kelly, when you were singing the song about I'm never going to stop singing. Uh, a, a few years ago, my mother died. And leading up to her death, she had uh, dementia, Alzheimer's. She was suffering from so many different things physically. And toward the end, um, my dad would say that she would wake up during the middle of the night singing. Now what you need to know is that mom and dad were always working in the church. And when they got too old to go to church, they shifted and started having services in the nursing home where my grandmother was. And after my grandmother passed away, they continued to have services in the nursing home. And mom would always support dad. Dad was the song leader, mom sang, and she also read poetry and poems. And dad said about a week before she had died that she woke up in the night and he was unaware, but he woke up too because he heard her singing. And she just kept singing like she was singing to the people, the residents in the nursing home. And in a moment, she finished the song, and she said, now Pat's going to come and lead us in a word of prayer. And my dad just kicked right in. He said a prayer, and then they started singing again, leading their people. Well, after she passed away, and it was just beautiful what he described, but after she passed away, my son gave me a little framed artwork that said she just kept singing. So I wanted to share that with you tonight because I thought it was such a sweet story. And she kind of uh, set the example for me. It is so good to be with you guys tonight. Uh, I'm so grateful that Adam had asked me to share a message with you. Um, you know, the, this whole year of pandemic and COVID uh, has really changed up churches. And pastors have really been challenged, right? Because they had to totally rewrite what church looked like. And so Pastor Adam, Pastor Bud, uh, Robin and Amy have worked this past year to see what the neighborhood church really looked like, whether it be on the computer or whether it's outside, which I think we need to change the name of the church to Under the Stars. I really like that. The last time I preached was the first time I had preached outside in the opening, and I was so full of the Holy Spirit, just looking up, and a while ago I'm sitting over there as the band is leading us in worship, and I see two mallard ducks over there fly. Did anybody else see that? And I'm just thinking, where else can you go to church and see two mallard ducks flying? I love this church. But our pastors need encouragement. And I hope it's not October, which is the month that we normally uh, give thanks to our pastors. But I hope that you will find an opportunity every week to thank these, these two men who lead this church in the steps of Jesus. I hope when Adam preaches that you will find something in his sermon 
that strikes you and go up and encourage in him. Amen? So um, the woods are off to, I think, eastern Oklahoma um, doing a little vacation trip, and we're so glad that they're able to get away. And Pastor Bud and Robin are over here. Uh, Kara does an amazing job. The band does an awesome job. We have so much to be thankful for, right? Would you join me as I pray? Father, just as you inspired these words through John's hand in the book of John, they were written to persuade people to believe in Jesus. People in AD 85 read these words and they believed. Even as the truths of this book made a difference in the lives of the early believers, we believe that they are to be read and digested by us today so that we may be transformed to be more like Jesus. So Father, open our ears and our eyes today to hear your tree, truth shared. Thank you, Holy Father. Amen. I felt a few weeks ago that God was instructing me to go to James 15, verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to read that scripture right now, but I need your help. And kids, this goes for you too. I need your help. The word abide is in this scripture a few times. So when you hear me read the scripture and I read the word abide, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to clap one time. Does everybody know that? So let's, yeah, I like that, Lynette, warming up her hands. Uh, and, and so open up your ears and listen. But when you hear the word abide, clap one time. Okay, you ready? John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it will produce more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from you you can apart from me you can do nothing whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers such branches are gathered tossed into the fire and burned if you abide in me and my words abide in you Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, 
and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The word of God for the people of God, and we all say, thanks be to God. Kind of interesting, isn't it, to see just how many times abide appears in 11 verses? A total of 11 times for 11 verses. I wonder why it's mentioned so often. In repetition, we find that repeated in the Bible, things are important, such as holy, holy, holy. Not just one holy, but three holies. Taking it to a level that, that we really have not even thought about. And I think that's why Jesus had this word abide. It's used to emphasize a point. By repeating the word abide, Jesus is saying to us, hey, listen, guys, this is important. This is important. Just look how many times I said for you to abide. Good. I didn't hear a clap. That's good. Uh, but Jesus is saying, pay attention. I want you to get truth out of the scripture. And so abide means to stay put or to remain. And I like the image of thinking of abide as an anchor. In June of this year, Sid and I will have been married 49 years. I think you could say that we abide in our marriage. We are anchored in our marriage. We will remain and stay put. Right, Sid? Very good. So the question is, how do we as Christians stayed anchored to God? If you're not abiding, you are not growing. If you are not anger, anchored, you are drifting. If you are not being discipled by Jesus, you are being discipled by someone else or by something. Your attention is being drawn from God. What could that be? A job? A girlfriend? Your friends? Seeking pleasure? Those things draw us away from God if we allow them to. And today's scripture finds Jesus telling a metaphor and preparing his disciples for his death and his departure on this earth. He was teaching them about their calling and their mission to God, preparing for them the time that he would not be with them, but the Holy Spirit would. He emphasized their absolute dependence on him. Jesus was the greatest, I'm sorry, of all times. Jesus was the greatest and is the greatest storyteller of all times. 
he realized that we would understand the truth better if he used a metaphor or if he told us stories. And what better way in the story than using the vine and the branches? Just as branches can only bear fruit if they abide in the vine, so that is the only way that we as believers can abide in Jesus and have fruitful lives. So what does this story tell us? First of all, the vine is Jesus, and we, the believers and disciples of, of Christ, are the branches. The Father, Jesus refers to as the vine dresser, that is, the gardener that gets up early in the morning and walks through the garden looking for branches that need to be pruned, looking for branches that have withered and died, breaking off those branches that are withered, throwing them in the fire and burning them. My favorite place to be in Dallas, Texas is the Dallas Arboretum. How many of you have been there? Okay. If you have not been there, would you see me? I'll make sure you get there. That place is amazing. It is a garden that sits on 66 acres at the southeast part of White Rock Lake. It is beautiful. They have the oldest trees, trees from around the world, and in the fall, they transform that place for the fall colors and all the mums. And they, this year, they had 90,000 pumpkins. 90,000 pumpkins. It was transformed. It was just beautiful. And then by Christmas, it is transformed to be Christmas with lights and red and green and poinsettias and the 12 nights, uh, the 12, what? Yeah, that. The, the 12 days of Christmas. It is just amazing. And then you cannot go a spring without going to see the tulips, which is my favorite time of the year. I actually took a tour there, and, and they showed us how they planted some of their tulips in their fertile soil. They dig very deep. And they put these bulbs in, and they cover it with fertilizer, and they cover it with rich soil. And then they go back again, and they plant another kind of bulb on top of the tulips. And then they cover that, they fertilize that, and then they come back and they plant yet another. They do this for four times, so that one piece of land has four levels of bulbs planted in them, so that in the growing season, they grow, and some are, are going out while others are just blooming. It is an amazing place, and I love to go there. I love to go there with Sid, but I love to take our grandchildren there or go with friends. But I especially like going by myself because I always have a date with Jesus when I go down there. I take either my Bible and my journal or a book that I'm reading, make sure I have a pen, and I sit in the garden. One thing that I notice is that the gardeners who attend the Dallas Arboretum are amazing. They are constantly going over 
and pruning what they need to prune so that, that more flowers, more fruit will become visible. It, it is a fabulous place. The unfruitful branches that John talks about in, in the scripture may be people who turn their back on God. You know some of them, right? Or it may be people who have accepted Jesus into their life and have just slowly faded away from Jesus. Those are the branches that do not produce fruit. I brought this book with you, with me today to show you. Uh, I think I have referred to it before, but it is called A Testament of Devotion, and it's written by Thomas Kelly. And if you don't have it, it is a great one to add to your library. It is a small book, but a very deep book with lots of things that you can chew on. But this is what I love. Kelly talked about something that I want to read, if I can keep the wind from blowing. Uh-oh. I checked the temperature, but not the wind. Okay, Kelly says this. Deep within us, there is an amazing inner sanctuary of the soul a holy place, a divine center, a speaking voice to which we may continuously return. It is the light within, and he's borrowing some of the language from, from the monks from so long ago. Listen to this. Listen to this. Here is a slumbering Christ stirring to be awakened, to become the person we should clothe in earthly form and action. And he is within us all. Isn't that beautiful? To think about that inner sanctuary in our soul and how people yearn for God even if they don't know that's what they're yearning for. And it is a slumbering Christ who is ready to be stirred and awakened to live in that person's body. Kelly continues, let us explore together the secret of a deeper devotion. Now, next month, I turn the big 7-0, and I will be the first to tell you that there is so much I don't know about this God that I love and that I have devoted my whole life to. I will forever be a student of God. So I love the challenge that Kelly gives us, and let us explore what is the secret of a deeper devotion. Here's, here's how C.S. Lewis puts it. Courtney, I think of you when I think about this story. He says, little ducks want to swim, and lo and behold, there's water. He says, humans get hungry, and lo and behold, there's food. 
So if you find in yourself a desire and longing that nothing on earth can satisfy, then maybe you weren't just built for earth. You were built to connect with something that is beyond this earth and bigger than this life. And so until we connect with God and experience his love and come into a deep relationship with him, until that happens, we'll never fill the hole in our heart. This is what Jesus is talking about in John 15. He's talking about our need to be able to stay connected with him, to remain in his love. And when those bad times happen, those, these struggles, these dark periods that we all go through, we just know to keep abiding in his love because he is going to prune those areas. He is going to shape us to produce more and more fruit. That is a beautiful, beautiful thought. And then he says in verse 11, I'm telling you this, now this is Jesus speaking, I'm telling you this so that your joy will be complete. He says, I don't want you lacking for anything. I want you, Mark Sweet, to live the fullest life that you possibly can. But you're not going to be able to do that apart from me. Abraham Maslow was an American psychologist, and he wrote, the longing to connect to God is the deepest need that we have as humans. There was a book written, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, written by, see if I can say this name, Pete Scazzaro. He said, most people live off of other people's spirituality rather than taking the time to develop their own direct expression of God. Most Christians talk about prayer but don't pray. Most own a Bible but don't read it with the expectation to hear from God. Most Christians don't see a connection in their work and God's work in the world. Our goals for our children differ little from those who don't know God. And like the word, and like the world, we too grade people based on their education, their success, their wealth, and their beauty. Thus, if we're going to really cultivate a spirituality with depth in our present day culture, we need a thoughtful, intentional plan for our spiritual lives. Most Christians live off of somebody else's spirituality. What does that even look like? Maybe, maybe we assume that because of what our parents believed, we will have eternal life. Maybe we don't feel the need to figure out our own because our wife, she, she really had that when we married. And I just assume her rhythm of life for Jesus. I just take it on, I go to church, I kind of do whatever my wife wants. Or is it a girlfriend or a boyfriend? 
Is it our friends? Some of us may lean into our pastor for his spirituality or some writer to adapt their way of seeing God. But let me tell you that a healthy person will mature and will begin asking questions, studying scripture to try to figure out his own spiritual, spiritual life. And he will seek to know God on a deeper level on his own. You see, we often all have false narratives about God. We see ourselves as Christians if we go to church once a week and the other six days we are in the world with no hint of Christ. We minimize God, making him a more or less a figment of our imagination. And sadly, at the same time, we don't really know him at all. In contrast to minimizing God, to think of him in a false narrative, C.S. Lewis says, in Christianity, God is not an impersonal thing nor a static thing. He is not even just one person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life a kind of drama, and if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. The whole dance or drama or pattern, this three-personal life is to be played out in each one of us. Each of us has to enter that pattern with the Trinity and take our place in that dance. There is no other way to happiness for which we were made. You see, Lewis is inviting us to experience the Trinity by entering ourselves into the dance. It's a deep devotion and results in knowing God in a way that produces fruit and a lot of it. And it transforms us to be more like Jesus and it gives us great joy. Why would anybody settle for less? As I reread John 15, I made a list of what it might look like to abide in Jesus. And these are just my notes. Need him, talk to him, walk with him, make him my first priority, lean on him, know him, understand his characteristics, go deeper with God, listen to his voice, look for him, pay attention, ask him, desire him, breathe him, spend time with him, study his holy scriptures, be holy. And these are only just a few to name. Notice that each of these statements begins with a verb, an active verb for us. Go home and continue this list. Add to it. Now, Sid has been coaching two teams this season in soccer. One is for our grandson, who is five years old, and the other is for our granddaughter, who is eight years old. And I just, I love to go to the practices, and I love to watch the games to find these little five-year-olds scrambling all over. Jasper's team is named the Fire Ants, and they give a big sting. But they're just so cute. And the other day, Jasper, who's 
don't tell him, but he's not that great of a player. I didn't say that, though. But he found himself on the field in front of our goal, struggling for the ball with the opponent who was the best little guy on their team. And they were all huddled together and kind of kicking and messing around, and all of a sudden, the ball went in because the opponent kicked it into our goal. And we immediately claimed it as Jasper's goal. I just love going to those games. Mike Cosper compares the athletic athlete's body to spiritual life in us. He says this, just as an athlete's body is conditioned and primed through practice to know a skill or a discipline, so also are all of our bodies conditioned and primed to know the world in certain ways. Any approach to spiritual transformation that doesn't take this kind of embodied knowledge seriously is bound to fail. Your routine, your daily routine has a world view. It orientates your body to the world and primes you to experience it in specific ways. Paul warned us in 1 Timothy 4, 7 to not get discouraged. He wrote, train yourselves up unto godliness. Spiritual growth takes time and training. Start with a first step. Try carving out 15 to 30 minutes a day to have a devotion with Jesus. And if you're already there, like I know a lot of you are already there and past that, simply add something else to your daily routine. We all have rhythms of life, right? Uh, I'm not talking really about the spiritual part. I'm just talking about the everyday, everyday rhythm. I know you parents who have young children, I know what your morning is like. It's pure chaos, right? and you're trying to get this kid there and these kids fed and, and make their lunch and get them off and make sure they're on time and in a good mood, which is sometimes hard to do. I remember when we had our two kids who were really young, and I remember how those chaotic mornings were. One morning I went in, I just fed them both breakfast. I would sent them off to get dressed. I was packing, making lunches and packing them, getting them ready. I took down the medicine bottle to get the one pill that was for our son's ADD. I went over, I got a cup, I went to the water fountain and filled it up, and I took the, the pill and swallowed the water. And then I realized I just medicated myself. I, I know how chaotic those mornings are. But guys, we're not gonna get to God deeper if we don't look at our schedule and carve out time for Him. Our spiritual rhythms of life should be as strong as our routine for getting our kids off to school or getting ourselves off to work. Do we follow Jesus' own rhythm of life? Just think about it. We all have to read the Bible to know that Jesus practiced solitude, he practiced prayer, he studied the scriptures over and over. He practiced silence. He went to the garden by himself. All the spiritual disciplines 
Jesus did. And he was totally devoted to the Father. And Jesus is our model. That's who we should be following. It's important that we figure out for ourselves what our own spiritual rhythm looks like. Not what our parents believe, not what our friends believe, but what do you individually believe? When you came in, you picked up a sheet, a little half sheet, and that really is not for you to fill out right now. I, I want you to take this home with you, and I, I want you to give some thought to what your personal spiritual rhythm of life looks like. I'll share with you mine so you'll get an idea. Daily, I read scripture with Sid. Now, we do have an advantage because we are retired. And so our time is not limited. We sat in the same two chairs every morning looking out on the backyard, drinking hot coffee in the presence of our Lord. And we read together one to three chapters out of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then we do our morning prayers. Uh, Brian Zahn's school of prayer. Some of you went to his school a few years ago. We pray the ancient prayers and also our personal prayers. And then throughout the day, I do what I call welcoming prayers. And it's simply stopping where I am and allowing God to come over me. I will be in a grocery line, and I can tell you there are times when I get really angry in the grocery store. And I stop, and I might have a 15-second welcoming prayer. But there are other times when I just desire to be with God. And I will sit, and I will close my eyes, find a comfortable position, and welcome the Holy Spirit. And I will be silent for two minutes, five minutes, seven minutes, or 30 minutes. But I do these prayers throughout the day. The other thing that I do, which is a spiritual formation for me, is to exercise. Most days I walk two, two miles a day. Weekly I come here to, for community worship, which I believe is so important for our spiritual lives. I try to read. I try to stay in a book at all times, one that will challenge me spiritually. Right now I'm reading Trains, Jesus, and Murders, the Gospel According to Johnny Cash. And you might be interested, it's really a good book. I study. Adam asked me to bring a message. I take it so seriously. And the best part of preparing for this message is the preparation. I take a Sabbath. It might be two hours or four hours, but I will spend time in solitude and silence. Monthly, I have spiritual direction, 90 minutes by appointment only. I practice silence and solitude for a half a day. And annually, 
I will take a personal spiritual retreat for as long as I can. I'd like to do it more often than just once a year. And I, that's one thing that I'm working on. The last few years, I've taken a personal spiritual retreat with my daughter-in-law, Sarah, who lives in Kansas. And we spend the morning and the afternoon in total silence. And then in the evening, we come together and prepare a meal and share the things we have learned about God during our day. I want to invite you into this process of developing your own rhythm of life. Write it down. If, if you have questions, talk to Pastor Bud, Pastor Adam. Talk to one of the leaders of this church. Quiz them to see what their rhythm of life is all about. I want to end with Eugene Peterson's translation of Matthew 11:28 and 30. He says this, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitted on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The slumbering Christ is stirring, ready to be awakened. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, may you be glorified tonight. You gave me this scripture and the words to give your message to your people. And I truly believe that someone here needed to hear this. You are working in the hearts of people May your words in John 15 not fade away tonight. Would you wake us up? You have more to give us as we go deeper and deeper with you. So, Lord, hear our prayers. And in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.